Hi there, I'm Adam Burton, and I'm the pastor at Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky. Thank you for tuning in to my online Bible study from The Gospel Project. We are live every Thursday night to study God's Word. This week's Bible study is titled, The Promise of a Coming King. We will see that God promised to send a branch, Jesus, who would be struck down for sin to bring peace. To let you know where we are going in our study, here are our three points. One, God will send a branch who will take away iniquity. Two, God will send a king who will bring peace. And three, God will send a shepherd who will be struck down for the sheep. We will get to our Bible study in just a moment, but before we do, one of the great things about our online Bible study is that we can engage in, in conversation. So as you watch, let me know what comments or questions you might have. Let us know what sticks out to you in this study. Lastly, we would love to connect with you on all of the socials. We are active on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for CBC Maysville. Stay tuned to the end for an important message about how you can go deeper into God's Word. Okay, well, let's get to our online Bible study. Imagine preparing to take children to Disney World. They are old enough to fully appreciate the experience, but they have never been there. Of course, they would be very excited, right? Counting down the days. The pending departure would captivate their attention and even motivate their behavior. Their expectations would be nearly all-consuming. Well, as believers in Christ, we too long for a day in the future when we will enjoy what is to come. More specifically, we look to the longing for the day when Jesus will come back and make the world right again. We can be confident in His future coming because we can look back at His previous coming. We know the promise is sure because we have seen what Jesus did at the cross and at the empty tomb, as well as the work He does to transform our hearts every day. The Israelites, too, had to believe the promise of the Messiah, whom the Lord assured them would come. Zechariah's prophecy gave specific hope for God's people in spite of constant opposition. In this session, we are going to look at God's declaration to His people regarding the rebuilding of the temple. Now, the small second temple was but a foretaste of the ultimate temple that God would offer His children, the Messiah. The coming, this coming temple would be far superior to the temple they were rebuilding and even the first temple that Solomon built. The Messiah would provide a sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. His work would not be easy, but He would accomplish it, and we will be saved because of it. From the book of Zechariah, we will see three distinct characteristics that describe our once-and-coming our once Savior. Our first point is God will send a branch who will take away iniquity. God will send a branch who will take away iniquity. Read with me Zechariah chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, and chapter 6, verse 12. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. 
and say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. The book of Zechariah is full of meaningful imagery. In these verses, we see pictures of a branch, a vine, and a fig tree, and a stone. Ultimately, all of these symbolic pictures show the Messiah for what he would be, our hope. He is a source of life, resurrection, salvation, adoption, and mission. Each of these pictures frames the way we see and understand Jesus Christ and shapes the way we obey him and walk in faithfulness. The branch is a significant Old Testament messianic title. The imagery involves a a sprout growing up out of a stump, life coming out of something dead. This betrayed hope and a new beginning to a struggling people. The vine and fig tree continue the metaphor of, of the branch. On the day the branch comes to bring salvation, people and their neighbors will be included in the benefits of the branch, pictured as sitting under a vine and enjoying its shade. This points to a new age when God's chosen people will include both Jew and Gentile, signifying adoption in Christ under the vine and the work of missions, invitation to to neighbors. The stone here most likely refers to the idea of, of a cornerstone, which is a recurring description of the Messiah in both the Old and New Testaments. The stone set before the high priest Joshua was set apart, something to build on, and it communicated the hope of atonement and salvation from sin. Think about this. How should these images shape the way we obey and walk in faithfulness to Jesus? Well, no matter how dire our circumstances, we can obey God's commands, trusting that Jesus brings out good of hardship and suffering. We must rest in Christ for our salvation. We are expected to invite others into the joy of knowing Christ by faith. Our actions should reflect that we are part of the building constructed on Christ, the cornerstone. Now, in verse 9, speaks of iniquity being removed on a single day. Zechariah was making a prophecy that looked forward to the day when the Messiah would come. He was speaking of the judicial forgiveness that comes to sinners through the cross of Jesus Christ. The high priest made sacrifices at the temple to to cover the sins of the people. But this was a temporary measure. The branch, the Messiah, our great high priest, made the final sacrifice for sins with his own life. As, As he said, it is finished. Through the cross, Jesus accomplished what we could not. He paid our penalty for sin in his death. When we place our faith in him, we are covered by his righteousness. In theological terms, we we call this imputed righteousness. Jesus' righteousness is transmitted or imputed to those of us who are unrighteous, but who have placed our faith in Jesus. This is how we can have confidence before God. We are not righteous in ourselves, but have a borrowed righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, covering us, which grants us access into God's kingdom and His family. A Christian is not perfect just forgiven. This doesn't mean we no longer sin, just that we are no longer penalized for sin. Sanctification or growing in the image of Jesus is the active process by which God actually makes us more like Him in terms of our character, helping us to walk farther and farther away from the practice of sin. Listen to this essential doctrine, Christ as priest. As the great, our great high priest, Jesus accomplishes the work of reconciling us to God. 
He is the one whose perfect righteousness is presented to the Father for our justification. He is the one who intercedes for us before the Father and prays for us to remain faithful. Our second point is God will send a king who will bring peace. God will send a king who will bring peace. Read with me Zechariah chapter 6 verse 13 and chapter 9 verses 9 and 10. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on its throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of the peace shall be between them both. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle, shall bow, the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from the sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah chapter 6 verse 13 points out that the Messiah is going to occupy multiple roles, roles that would not have been available to a single individual in the time of Zechariah. Specifically, the text describes a ruler who will be both a king and a priest. Now this ruled out the rulers of the day as kings and priests by law were two distinct roles of leadership for the Israelites. The Messiah would not only command the rule of nations, but would also intercede spiritually on behalf of all those who have faith in him. Imagine a a human king ruling from a throne over his people. And then imagine another person, a priest, sharing that throne with him. Furthermore, imagine these two separate people peacefully sharing the rule over a kingdom. Of course, this is beyond imagination because we know the sinful and selfish tendencies of human beings. But one person, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would fulfill both of these roles as one. This description of the Messiah's versatility speaks to the ways in which God would use him to accomplish his purposes. But it also makes clear that the Messiah would be greater than just the victorious ruler whom so many Israelites were looking for. Further, it points to his role as the Son of God. Only one who comes from God could rightly occupy and occupy well both these roles. This Messiah is like no one who would ever come before or after him. Think about this. How does Jesus fulfill the roles of king and priest in our lives? Well, he rules over us to direct us to what is good and away from what is harmful. He protects us from our enemies. He made the one sacrifice to save us from our sin. He intercedes for us with the Father that our sins would not be counted against us. And he brings us peace with God and others. Zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 and 10 points directly to Jesus' kingship, including its humble origins. This is the prophecy describing the coming king as one who would ride into Jerusalem on, we now, on we, what we now know as Palm Sunday, on a donkey. Now with this image, the, the Lord shows the Messiah is going to advance a kingdom, not of war, but of peace. His reign will exist not only locally over the Jewish nation, but will also extend to the ends of the earth and include people from every tribe and tongue. The Messiah's rule, Jesus' rule, will be and is characterized by peace. He will not wage war with the nations just yet. 
One day, the Lord of armies will rise to fight for the defense, well-being, and salvation of his people. But first, the Lord Jesus will be the ambassador of peace. God sent his Son into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. Christ invites his followers to play a role in the growth and rule of his peaceful kingdom. And as he encourages us to witness to his kingdom of glory and salvation all the way to the ends of the earth. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said he came to not bring peace on the earth, but a sword. In this context, he is speaking about the divisive nature of his ministry. You know, some will believe and they will become agents of peace. Others will reject Christ and his followers and refuse the peace of knowing him. Listen to this essential doctrine. Christ as king. God has always been king over his creation, whether in heaven or on earth. Yet some of his creatures in both realms have rebelled against him, leaving destruction in their wake. To destroy his broken world, God promised a king who would deliver his people and restore all of creation. The promise of a coming king finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and looks forward to its perfection when Jesus returns for his bride, the church. Think about this. How can we honor our humble king of kings as we face the terrors of this world? Well, we live believing he is coming again to make all things right. We face our struggles with humility as Christ, as Jesus did. We don't seek our own honor and praise, but live for the glory of Jesus. And we lay down our lives in service to others. Our last point is God will send a shepherd who will be struck down for the sheep. God will send a shepherd who will be struck down for the sheep. Read with me Zechariah chapter 13 verses 7 through 9. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the the little one. And the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver, and test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. The coming Messiah here is described as the Lord's shepherd, and he is to be struck down. The one who stands with the Lord is, in fact, the one and only Son of God, and his sheep, his followers, would be scattered. Now, of course, these these pictures of the future arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus when his disciples abandoned him. But the Lord promises to preserve a remnant whom he will test and purify that they will call on him alone as their God and they will be his people. Listen to this quote. It was not nails that held Jesus to that wretched cross. It was his unqualified resolution out of love for his father to do his father's will. And within that framework, it was his love for sinners like me. The Lord affirms the veracity of his believers' faith by strengthening them through trials. Ultimately, their faith will prove to be more valuable than precious metals. This refined faith and the promise of the presence of the Lord are are what will fuel the followers of Christ to declare to the nations that the Lord Jesus is their God and Savior. The persecution and death that would rise up against the Lord's shepherd reminds us that God's sovereignty extends even to the most painful of moments. 
This matters because it enables God's people to trust Him, knowing there is purpose in our suffering. The pain that Jesus experienced was part of God's plan to redeem humanity. The Lord Himself called for the sword to strike the shepherd, reminiscent of Isaiah's statement that the Lord was pleased to crush His suffering servant for our salvation. We can say unequivocally that God is not, nor has He ever been, the author of sin or evil. The Bible is clear on that point. But the Bible is also clear that God can allow even or and even cause pain to occur for the sake of accomplishing His purposes. The greatest example of this is the life and death of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross at the hands of wicked men. But this was God's good work in Jesus' life to redeem us all. Now, this does not mean that God authored the sin of those evil men perpetrated against Jesus. But it does mean that God planned and permitted it so that in His wisdom, His purposes might be accomplished, namely our salvation from sin. Listen to this essential doctrine, Christ as substitute. At the heart of the atonement is Jesus Christ substituting Himself for sinners as He died on the cross. This truth is seen against the backdrop of the Old Testament sacrificial system, which provided a picture of humanity's need for sin to be covered and guilt to be removed by an innocent sacrifice. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon Himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying Himself completely with humankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by His personal obedience, and in His substitutionary death on the cross, He made provision for the redemption of humanity from sin. We have seen in the book of Zechariah three distinct descriptions of the coming king. One, a branch who will take away iniquity. Two, a king who will bring peace. And three, a shepherd who will be struck down for his sheep. These three characteristics are fulfilled in Jesus, our Messiah and Savior, who laid down His life as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners in order to achieve peace between God and man. If we are in Christ by repentance and faith, then we have peace with God. And because of that peace, we seek to promote and live at peace with others as we proclaim the gospel of our selfless King. Because we have peace with God through Christ, we strive to live at peace with others and advance peace in the world around us to reflect the rule of our King. Here are some ways for you to apply God's Word to your life. Of what do you need to repent, to live and enjoy the peace that God offers through faith in Christ? What are some ways your church can strive for peace within your church? Who in your life needs to hear the good news about peace with God and others made available through the sacrifice of King Jesus? Listen to this quote. God lives in peace and sends the Prince of Peace to rule in peace so that we can experience peace. Pray for peace in your church, in your community, in your local politics, and in your nation. By being a person of peace, you are reflecting God's character and desire. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are the king we do not deserve, but precisely the king we need. Unlike all other kings, you have taken away our sin, won for us an everlasting peace, and did so by dying on the cross for us. We thank you for your selfless sacrifice that reconciles us to the Father. 
Help us manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit as we strive to live at peace with others while serving you, our selfless, faithful King. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's Bible study. Remember that God promised to send a branch, Jesus, who would be struck down for sin to bring peace. God promised to send a priest, a king, and a shepherd to remove iniquity, bring peace, and be struck down for the sheep. Right? Jesus is the one who fulfilled these prophecies as the perfect intercessor, ruler, and sacrifice for God's people. Jesus laid down his life on the cross as the substitute to pay sin's penalty and bring peace between God and sinners. Connect with me if you would like to know how Jesus can change your life forever. Would you like to dig even deeper into this week's Bible study? Join our online Bible study Facebook group to get a short study each day. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash OBS Central. That's facebook.com slash groups slash OBS Central. Well, if you enjoyed tonight's Bible study, would you share it with your friends? Lord willing, I will see you next Thursday for our online Bible study. God bless.